Support for this podcast comes from San Francisco International Airport. At SFO, you can discover award-winning flavors and unique shops all before takeoff. Learn more about what's at SFO at flysfo.com. Hey, it's Glenn Washington from Snap Judgment. And if you love what you're hearing, and I know you love what you're hearing, please consider becoming a KQED member special access to cool events, behind-the-scenes footage, and so much more. Plus, you'll sleep better at night knowing you did your part for the community you depend upon. It's in you. Please be in it. Visit donate.kqed.org slash podcasts to sign up now. That's podcast with an S. Thanks. From KQED. This is the California Report. Good morning. I'm Lily Jamali. Four people are dead after a 40-foot cabin cruiser suspected of being part of a human smuggling operation crashed and overturned yesterday in the waters off of Point Loma in San Diego. The boat was packed with almost 30 people and crashed and broke apart near Cabrillo National Monument. Here's San Diego Lifeguard Lieutenant Rick Romero describing the injuries of those aboard the boat. They range from just hypothermia, uh, and others just from uh, injuries caused by the breaking of the vessel. I uh, can't confirm uh, how many people had serious injuries, but uh, a wide variety of, uh, of injuries. Jeffrey Stevenson with Customs and Border Protection says all signs point to the boat being used to smuggle people illegally into the country. He says these smuggling vessels are often not equipped to handle rough conditions. They don't care about the people they're exploiting. All they care about is, is profit. Uh, to them, these people are just commodities, so uh, and you can see that in the way they, they treat them. Uh, inadequate safety equipment, uh, really poorly uh, equipped vessels, you know, sometimes they'll give them uh, flotation devices and, and life jackets. The suspected operator is being questioned by Border Patrol agents. And this happened on a weekend when Border Patrol and partner agencies were ramping up efforts to stop smuggling efforts off the coast of San Diego. Over the weekend, about 200 migrant children started arriving at a shelter that's been set up at the Los Angeles County Fairplex Fairgrounds east of L.A. The children, many from Central America, appeared at the U.S.-Mexico border without parents or guardians. The shelter has the capacity to handle up to 2,500 children. It's the third of its kind to open in this state after San Diego and Long Beach. My California Report colleague Saul Gonzalez got a brief look at accommodations for the kids before they arrived. Row after row of cots fill an enormous auditorium. Toys and dolls were stacked neatly on tables, and big banners hanging from the ceiling had the words love and hope printed in Spanish. Bonnie Preston is the acting regional director for the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services. She spoke with Saul about what's next for the unaccompanied kids. So the goal is to reunify them with their relative, close relative or a verified sponsor. So that's really our goal. And we want to welcome them. We want to make this a child-safe, child-friendly reception. And ideally, you would like to reunite them with some family member by when after they arrive? Where our goal is 14 days would be the max. When, when children come in, we can tell pretty soon if they have a parent that they're here to meet. So we want those kids, we can get out maybe in four days. But within two weeks, we would like to get every child that comes here united. 
That was Bonnie Preston of the Health and Human Services Department. Republican critics of the Biden administration say, quote, the need to open up shelters for unaccompanied children shows the administration has lost control over the situation at the border. After touring the fairgrounds shelter, Democratic Congressman Jimmy Gomez of L.A. pushed back against those criticisms and instead blamed the hardline immigration policies of the Trump administration. We have a failed immigration system not just at the border system. And it was actually made worse under the previous administration by not living up to the values of, of what was instilled in law. They tried to implement a child separation policy by creating zero tolerance. We need to have honest debates in this country about immigration, which is completely fine. But you can't lie about what you're doing as a government. And that's what the previous administration was doing. That was Congressman Jimmy Gomez. The shelter for migrant children at the L.A. County Fairgrounds is expected to stay open through the end of this year. The Biden administration has continued to use a public health authority imposed by President Donald Trump during the pandemic to expel most migrants and asylum seekers at the U.S.-Mexico border. But at a talk in L.A., Biden's Secretary of Homeland Security, Alejandro Mayorkas, called the expulsions, quote, a source of pain. KQED's immigration editor, Taiki Hendricks, has more. Mayorkas acknowledged the government is being sued by the ACLU over the rule, known as Title 42. But he said it's still needed for now to keep COVID-19 from spreading in crowded Border Patrol facilities. Those remarks came as part of a conference Friday on immigration law at UCLA in Mayorkas' hometown. The warm and wide-ranging conversation with a former ACLU attorney turned law professor would have been unthinkable for one of Trump's homeland security secretaries. But when Mayorkas was asked how he would protect the well-being of unaccompanied children who must appear in immigration court without the right to an appointed lawyer, he said, I consider the immigration prosecution of children without counsel to be unacceptable. He said Homeland Security officials are now working hard to connect kids with pro bono attorneys. And when they can't, the duty falls on the ICE attorney prosecuting the case to look out for the child's interests. We cannot fulfill the government's responsibilities without ensuring that the rights of the child are well represented. And therefore, a government lawyer has a lot more to do. Mayorkas also said he found many aspects of the immigration detention system, quote, unacceptable, including the prolonged incarceration of people who have no criminal history. He said the agency is reforming its detention policies. While Biden has ordered an end to federal contracts with private prison companies, Mayorkas would not publicly commit to ending private immigration detention. For The California Report, I'm Tyke Hendricks. Hi, it's Terry Gross, the host of Fresh Air. We bring you in-depth, long-form interviews with actors, directors, musicians, authors, journalists, and more. Listen to our Peabody Award-winning Fresh Air podcast from WHYY and NPR. Hi there, I'm Randa Fattah from Throughline. If you're listening to this podcast, you know that KQED produces exceptional storytelling that keeps you informed, inspired, and entertained. Their podcasts cover issues from your neighborhood to the entire country and everything in between. Support this work today. You can help us continue to bring quality podcasts to your ears. Just head to donate.kqed.org podcast. That's donate.kqed.org podcast. 
Some California students are suing the state and its top education leaders, claiming they're denying underserved students an equal right to an education during the pandemic. KQED's Vanessa Roncano reports plaintiffs filed a preliminary injunction today asking the courts to step in now. The suit alleges the state has failed to provide the basic tools and support needed for distance learning. Attorney Jessalyn Friley with a nonprofit firm Public Counsel represents them every day that these students are not being educated in accordance with their constitutional rights is a day that they are suffering. And even as schools are starting to reopen, they're still not getting what they need from the state in order to recover what they've missed academically. The preliminary injunction asks the courts to hold districts accountable for ensuring every student has access to tech devices and connectivity and academic and mental health supports. The state has pointed to multiple efforts to meet those demands. For the California Report, I'm Vanessa Rancaño. Well, several large COVID-19 vaccination sites across the state are set to wind down operations by the end of this month. That includes the Mass Vaccination Hub at Moscone Center in San Francisco, which plans to close May 28th after completing appointments for people getting their second shot. Late last week, the city of Los Angeles announced plans to wind down operations by the end of May at Dodger Stadium, one of the largest vaccination sites in the country. As demand for COVID-19 vaccines has slowed in recent weeks, many cities and counties across the state have begun shifting gears, focusing more on mobile vaccination sites to get doses to people who haven't been vaccinated yet. Well, in the Central Valley, the Fresno County Department of Public Health is diverting COVID-19 vaccines allocated to that county elsewhere because of low demand. The California Report's Central Valley reporter Alex Hall has more on why some are unsure about the vaccine and what public health experts say can be done about it. 31-year-old Celia Maldonado has made three appointments to get the COVID-19 vaccine since late March, and she's canceled every single one of them, which she feels guilty about. I feel like there's no clear answer to my concerns. It's driving me crazy. Those concerns predate the Johnson & Johnson pause, she says, and include fears about the lack of data on long-term side effects, especially when it comes to pregnant women who get the vaccine. Although the CDC says there is no evidence getting vaccinated causes problems with pregnancy. I just fear that unknown. I know this can happen to me if I get COVID. I don't know exactly what can happen to me from getting this vaccine. She feels ashamed to bring up those doubts and fears to friends who have already gotten vaccinated. And she says she doesn't fall into the categories typically associated with vaccine hesitancy. I was listening to NPR the other day and there was a report like, oh, the people who are not vaccinated are right wing evangelicals and this and this and that. And of course, they put Latino people in there. And I'm like, well, that's the group of people I'm in. But I'm not by any means a Trumpist. I am a liberal. I feel like I should be on the side of getting a vaccine, but I'm just not. The Central Valley is home to some of the least vaccinated counties in the state. That includes Fresno, where Maldonado lives. In an effort to get more people vaccinated, local health officials here are now focusing education and outreach in neighborhoods where people haven't gotten a shot. We do this a lot, right? We want to make, we want to find patterns. Dr. Rishi Goyle of Columbia University is leading a team that's looking at the language around vaccine hesitancy on social media and online forums to figure out what drives it. 
He says he's suspicious of survey data that looks simply at demographics because it oversimplifies the problem. There are Somali immigrants in Minnesota that are vaccine hesitant, right? There are rural GOP populations that are hesitant. There are left-leaning natural healing aficionados that are vaccine hesitant. And I think the one-size-fits-all or the blaming one group for the phenomenon will end up kind of putting us in the problem that we're in where we don't know how to tackle the problem because we don't even understand it. I really hate the term vaccine hesitancy. Dr. Kirsten Bibbins-Domingo of UCSF says that labeling racial groups or people with certain political ideologies as hesitant doesn't explain people's specific concerns or how to address them. In the end, I think most of the people who we put that label on are people who want to get their questions answered, right? And I think it is a little bit of a cop-out for us to label people as hesitant when all of the issues we're talking about are ones that we in public health should be working harder to think about overcoming. What healthcare providers can do, says Dr. Lisa Rosenbaum, a cardiologist and assistant professor at Harvard who has studied COVID-19 vaccine hesitancy, is hear people out answer their questions. It's just so intuitive to us when you're trying to convince people to do something to craft a message. The real work has to be done on the ground, talking to people, making them feel heard, making them feel understood. And I don't think any messaging campaign can overcome that. Especially to reach people like Maldonado, for whom a change in messaging won't necessarily have an impact, only more data and to get there, time to see the COVID-19 vaccines are safe. For the California Report, I'm Alex Hall in Fresno. Some much-needed help is on the way to the food service industry here in California, which has been battered throughout the pandemic. The application process opens this morning for the nearly $29 billion restaurant revitalization fund, which was part of the stimulus package passed in March. Carlos Gutierrez with the San Francisco Office of the Small Business Administration tells the California Report business owners should get their applications in as soon as possible. During the initial 21-day priority period, SBA will accept applications from from all eligible applicants, but only those applicants from the small businesses owned by women, veterans, and socially economically disadvantaged will be funded during that period. Unlike the Paycheck Protection Program, which was mainly used for worker payroll, this new funding can be used on a variety of things, including rent and mortgage obligations. And that is the California Report for this Monday, May 3rd. We're a production of KQED Public Radio. I'm Lily Jamali. Thanks for listening. Support for the California Report comes from Paint Care. Now with 800 drop-off sites in California where households and businesses can recycle their leftover paint. More at paintcare.org. California Healthcare Foundation, ensuring the voices of Californians are heard in California's decisions about health care on the web at chcf.org voices. And Eric and Wendy Schmidt through the Schmidt Family Foundation, working together to create a just world where all people have access to renewable energy, clean air and water, and healthy food. On the web at theschmidt.org. Hi, I'm Sasha Koka, host of the California Report magazine. Every week, we bring you stories about what connects us in the giant, diverse, golden state. Because what happens in California changes the world. I love this place. We were once seen as, like, the place to be California. The land of milk and honey, that's where you go to Sunshine State, but we just have challenges right now. KQED's California Report magazine. New episodes drop every Friday, wherever you get your podcasts.
Hey there, this is Brittany Luce from NPR's It's Been a Minute. KQED's podcasts like The Bay, Bay Curious, Mind Shift, Right Nowish, and more all tell the stories of the Bay and beyond with reliable human-centered journalism. They aim to inspire, make you think, entertain, and expand your understanding of the place you call home. Here's how you can support podcasting at KQED. Showing your support is easy, and you can join Brittany in supporting KQED Podcast too at donate.kqed.org slash podcast. That's donate.kqed.org slash podcast.